Amen, church. That's right. Give God one more clap of hand praise. The Lord is good. His mercy endures forever. His mercy is over all his tender works, the Bible says. And so we are going to um, continue uh, our series in the book of Acts. We started a series in the book of Acts, and so we've kind of been going through it. And I do want to encourage you, okay? It was such a blessing to see the three candidates come forward today. We had several that could not make it uh, that will either be baptized next Sunday or the first Sunday of October. Uh, but we, um, our heartbeat is to always keep the water hot. Uh, and I appreciate the deacons and the, the, just the way they serve to make that happen. But next Sunday, okay, there's some of you in here that you, you know you followed Christ, you know you're a believer, um, but you've never went through the baptismal pool after you became a believer. And so I'm going to encourage you, go ahead and bring your change of clothes. You're getting a week advance notice. Go ahead and bring your change of clothes for next Sunday, and we're, we'll baptize you, okay? And it's very, very important, and it'll go along with the message uh, for next Sunday as we talk about uh, the ministry of Philip to the Ethiopian eunuch. And so I just want to encourage you to stop making excuses. All it is is just simply identifying and letting the faith family know that you are on team Jesus. And Jesus was baptized himself, proving that baptism is not salvation because he is salvation and did not need salvation. And so, but he does, uh, uh, he did that as an example for us to follow through. So what a blessing to be a part of that. Well, Acts chapter 6 and verse 8 through 7 and 53, through chapter 7 and verse 53. Uh, and the sermon title this morning is Being a Faithful Witness Till the End. A Faithful Witness Till the End. And the takeaway, we always try to give a takeaway if you're a guest here so that this will settle in our hearts as believers. The takeaway is this. God is honored when the gospel means more to us than our own lives. God is honored when the gospel means more to us than our own lives. You say, that's pretty stout, Pastor. Well, that's who we're following. That's what he said, and that's, that's what he said it should mean to us, and that's what denying ourselves, taking up our cross, and following him. And to do that, we can't do it in our own power. We've got to have the help of the Holy Spirit. And so we see the, uh, literally the acts of the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit is sent to the church. We see the apostles acting in accordance with being led by the Spirit. And then through the whole book, we see the progression of the gospel and that the church is a movement. The church is not a building that we all go to together in. The church is the body of Christ, the ecclesia, literally the called out ones. And so uh, it's not a building, but we come together to be encouraged, um, to be exhorted through the word of God. And then we go out into the real mission field so we can see more uh, of baptisms and what God has called us to see. So in today's text, we see the most similar death in scripture to the death of Jesus Christ himself. The Bible gives us a picture in the book of Acts of an obedient servant. And um, I'm constantly reminded of the fact that God desires for us as his children to reflect and radiate Jesus in everything we do, to reflect and radiate Jesus. And so I also think about this text in Acts chapter 6 and into verse 7, I mean into chapter 7, when I think of those who have died a martyr's death, they were faithful all the way to the end. They, they so believed in Jesus and the gospel that it meant more to a martyr than, than their own life. There are martyrs dying as I speak for the gospel in foreign countries and for Jesus because they are unwilling to deny him because he means more to them and God's word and the gospel means more to them than their own life. So as followers of Christ, it's important that we ask this question. 
What do I do? What do we do when confronted with opposition to our faith? Now, those of us who have never encountered any opposition for being a Christian are more than likely silent Christians walking in disobedience to the Great Commission and to Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, where we talked about every believer is empowered to be a witness. That was our first takeaway of this series. Now, today we're looking at this man named Stephen, who was a layman in the early church. I wish everyone here today could only believe and see what God could and what God would do in and through you as a layperson totally devoted to serving Jesus Christ, what God could do. But God gives us the life of Stephen so that we can see it. Let me give you proof on what God can do through you as a layperson, okay? What God did in the life of Charles Spurgeon, if you've never heard of Charles Haddon Spurgeon, he was a famous, well-known uh, pastor and preacher that literally before mega churches existed and Billy Graham crusades existed, Spurgeon would just stand and preach and thousands and thousands and thousands would come and sit under the, uh, uh, the word of God and hear him preach. But what people, many people don't know about Charles Haddon Spurgeon that God used so mightily is that as a teenager, he showed up at a little church one Sunday morning and the Spirit had drawn him to the church to hear the Word of God and, and, and he had a divine appointment and he didn't even know it. Well, that morning there had been a big snow and the pastor who pastored that little church was actually snowed in and could not get out of his own house. Well, what's a church to do when the pastor snowed in? Amen. Eating snow cream. What's the church to do? Is it to just go home? No. Because you're the church. And so a lay person, a lay person, not an associate pastor, not a staff member, a lay person got up that morning under the direction of the Holy Spirit in obedience, and everybody's empowered to be a witness. A lay person got up and shared from God's Word that morning, and Charles Haddon Spurgeon, Spurgeon came to the Lord Jesus Christ and gave his heart to the Lord. Amen? And literally thousands and thousands and thousands of life will be in heaven because of Charles Spurgeon, God's hand upon him. But it didn't start with Charles Haddon Spurgeon. And it's not about Charles Haddon Spurgeon. It was about the obedience of a lay person being obedient to getting up and declaring the word of God. Now, um, here's a, a sobering question for all of us today. Would you stand up and proclaim God's word as a layperson if, if you knew millions would come to Christ, but it would cost you your life? This morning, if my voice went out and the Spirit of God said to you as a layperson, get up there and share what I'm putting on your heart and what I've shown you about my love. And you knew clearly that when you stood on this platform, that it was going to cost you your life to be obedient to Christ. But you knew millions, if you just stepped on this platform, would come to Christ. Would you do it? Woo, be careful before you say yes, right? It's easy to say yes in America, in this blessed country, with a lot of support and protection around you. But would you do it? And I would hope to say that, man, I would deny myself, that I would take up my cross. Everything in me believes that and, and, and wants, to, wants to be that believer. And I hope I would be faithful in doing that. And I hope the same for you. But you know something? We're about to talk about a man named Stephen. And in Acts chapter 6, we gave an overview last week of, in our breakfast at the end of that time of, of chapters 4 through 6. 
by the way, which was the shortest sermon I've ever preached. I told y'all it would be, okay? And now God uses a lay person to preach the longest sermon in the whole book of Acts, okay? So it's my turn, so y'all bear with me, okay? I'll, be, I'll get through it as quick as, as we can. But God takes a layman named Stephen, and Stephen preaches the truth. But here's what I want you to see the difference is. Stephen had no clue what the results would be. Stephen did not have the contingency in there that I gave you. Would you stand and proclaim the, the truth, knowing it would cost your life, but millions would come to Christ? You say, Pastor, what are you saying? I'm saying St- Stephen stood and preached the truth because of his passion and love for Jesus Christ, and his passion and love and devotion to Jesus Christ meant more than the results of his preaching and his ministry. His motivation did not come from, oh, there'll be thousands of lives changed, so that's, that's worth it this morning for me to stand and preach for Christ. No, Jesus was worth it for him to stand and preach for Christ and leave the results up to him. Well, if we could just get to a place as believers to walk in love with Jesus in that way, it would be amazing what God could do and what God would do. Well, Stephen... He did it. He had no clue what God would do. He died for his passion and heart for Jesus, um, not for the results, as I've said. And here's why it's so important in his life. I told you Charles had the Spurgeon story. As a layman, Stephen was one of these guys that Acts chapter 6, the apostles, when there was that dispute about how the widows were being taken care of, the Jewish widows uh, were being taken care of, um, that, that basically the apostles said, appoint uh, out from among you seven men to help take care of widows, to help serve and break down tables and all of this so that we as the apostles can devote ourselves to prayer, preparation, and the preaching of the Word of God, that the gospel can go forward. Well, Stephen's one of the seven that they picked out. So a layman says, God, I'll serve you. A layman says, God, I'll minister to your widows. Lord, I will minister to the orphans. Lord, I will break down tables. And little did he even know that God would so fall on him to teach him what serving Jesus meant, that he would be empowered by the Holy Spirit to stand and give this most powerful message. And Stephen, here's why it's so important. Here's why it's so important. The the, the results that God gave him when he was focused on Jesus, he left the results up to, to God, and by that, the, the Apostle Paul, whose name first was Saul, it is the last, Stephen is the last Christian that he would ever persecute or kill. It's in Acts chapter 8, verse 1 and verse 3. See, Saul was coming against every Christian, and Saul was in a place of even giving order, kill him. He's one of them, kill him. He was ravaging the church, Acts 8, 3 says, Saul was, but through one lay person, not through the pastor, through one lay person filled with the Holy Spirit of God, with a passion for Jesus to serve him, God absolutely came in the middle of that and took Stephen and took God's word through Stephen and he began to do a work and change lives. And Saul was there and it was the last person. And you've got to remember when Saul, and we'll talk about that, when Saul met um, Jesus in what we call a Christophany, he met, it wasn't a dream or a vision, he met Jesus. 
And it absolutely, Jesus encountered him and said, why? Or basically, Jesus said, paraphrasing here, the, the terminology in the Bible is, why do you kick against the goat? But the terminology uh, to break it down for us is, why are you coming against me? First, that was it. Why are you coming against me? Why are you coming against my people? Why are you coming against my church? And God set him apart, and that's a whole other story you'll hear in two weeks on the life of Saul. But Stephen pleased God by his actions when he was confronted with opposition. We can learn from that. Hopefully we can implement that. He gave us a clear picture of an obedient witness. And I want you to notice, first of all, that an obedient witness looks like Jesus. Jesus didn't complicate it on what, who we're supposed to be like, what we're supposed to look like. We are what complicates it. Because of our unwillingness to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Jesus as he called us to do. But I want you to look at Acts chapter 6. And um, the first thing that I, the first verse I want you to see um, is verse 6. It said, These, Stephen was one of them, they sat before the apostles and they prayed and they laid their hands on them. Now I want you to drop down to verse 8. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Drop down two more verses, the verse 10, if you will. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the capital S spirit with which he was speaking. Every believer is empowered with the same spirit of God that fell on Stephen when he just said, here I am, Lord, send me. As Isaiah said, here I am, use me. Here I am, I'll step up to the platform. The same Holy Spirit will empower you and me if we'll just stand in obedience, if we'll just walk in faith. And so we see that, that they could do nothing with it because the Holy Spirit was on him. And then fast forward to verse 15. Fast forward to verse 15. And gazing at him, the council that is, the the high priest, the Sadducees, they were gazing at Stephen. And all who sat in the council saw his face was like the face of an angel. I mean, Stephen didn't even know that this was the moment, the climax of his Christian walk that God was about to use, and he just signed up. <laughs> I'll serve widows. I'll break down tables. I'll stand and preach Jesus without trying to put it off on somebody else as if it's their job and their job only. I will be a devoted person serving the Lord, whatever that means for my life. Notice he was full of grace, it said. He had a gracious outlook on those around him. He had a heart of compassion for the lost. He had a heart of compassion for the hurting. Well, who does that look like? Jesus. When Jesus would look out over the multitudes, he saw them as, as like scattered sheep without a shepherd. And it moved his heart. He had a heart of compassion. That's the heart we should have. Never losing sight that God has called this church, Smoke Rise, this laity, this staff, to help people find direction in life through the cross of Jesus Christ. Full of grace. It says he's full of faith. He had a faith in the God he served, the only God, to bring salvation and healing. He was full of the Spirit's power. He had the Holy Spirit within him. If you've never heard much about the Christian faith in the New Testament, hopefully we've invited people here that haven't in our obedience to be a witness. Um, things changed from the Old Testament to the New Testament, two parts of the Bible that make up 66 books that we have, that is God-breathed, the God-breathed Word of God, inspired and erred, infallible Word of God, where God, through the Holy Spirit, 
empowered these biblical authors to write as God directed them and the Holy Spirit directed them to give us the voice, the mouthpiece of God through the Word of God. God empowered them to do that. And so what's changed in the New Testament, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was around them in a cloud, a fire by night, a burning bush that Moses encountered. But in the New Testament, because of what God did in the book of Acts, God sent the Holy Spirit to dwell inside the believers and to be in us. So we have, if you're a believer, you've got a person in you. You have God in you through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. God in three persons, blessed Trinity. All right, so he was full of the Spirit's power. He was full of spectacular works. He had a passion to use the gifts and abilities God had given him for the glory of God, not himself. He had a ministry of encouragement, warning the people God is patient, God is long-suffering, giving them the same message that Peter had been preaching, that you are the one who crucified Jesus. You are the one that should have died on a cross. I'm the one that should have bore the wrath of God. He's just preaching truth. He's doing it in love, but it comes with strong exhortation. And he gives them warning of God and that there is a God and there is only one God and this God is holy and he hates sin. And he's tackling their false belief system. Everyone has a belief system. Everyone has a belief system. But there is only one belief system that will grant you eternal access to God the Father. And that's a belief system in Jesus Christ and Christ alone. His death, his burial, and his resurrection alone. And God hates all false belief systems. Notice I didn't say God hates people who follow false belief systems. God loves the people who follow them, and he's not willing that they should perish. It's our job, as Peter said, to be able to give a defense for the hope that's within us so that we can lead other people to Jesus Christ and Christ alone. And so what, what Stephen was addressing them on, and why they got so enraged and fired up, is he was addressing them on their false belief system. He was addressing them on the false belief system and how they had turned to idolatry and how that we see in the life of even the children of Israel and these Jewish... you got to remember, he's addressing people here that were just like Saul. They knew the Torah. They, they knew the law. But they were the ones that came through the line and some of the ones that are being pointed back to their ancestors that they, were, they, they had rather go back to Egypt than to follow God. They, they had rather, when Moses is meeting with God on the mountain, coming down, fired up and encouraged about he's just heard from God, now there's some marching orders. He comes down and he finds them committing the sin of idolatry, worshiping a golden calf. This is the mindset that he's addressing. Now, some people have already checked out on me in here this morning and said, well, good, I'm glad I'm not worshiping a golden calf. You are. It's in the form of a football or it's in the form of a grandchild or it's in the form of a kid. That's, that's what we do if we're not careful. We fall into the same sin of idolatry. <laughs> and God has called us to honor him first and foremost with a message and a word to have a faith like Abraham that even if he called us to lay our child on an altar to prove that he's number one in our life, we would follow through in obedience. 
And you thought stepping up here on Sunday and just giving a word if I'm snowed in was a tough challenge, right? But God, God wants that devotion from us. God doesn't want to slay a child on the altar. But he does want to know, do we love Christ more than we do mother, father, child? Does our love for Jesus when he steps out on a cloud to call his children, is the very passion in our heart more to see him face to face than to see our spouse who's went on to be with the Lord face to face? Or to see someone close that we've lost? Does Jesus mean more to us than that? What does that look like in our lives? And so we see an obedient witness looks like Jesus. Second, we see an obedient witness should expect opposition. An obedient witness should expect opposition. I want you to look at verse 9 uh, of chapter 6 real quick. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, <laughs> they were about to get freed, some of them that would trust Jesus, and of the Cyrenians and of the Alexandrians and of those from Sicilia and Asia, rose up and, everybody say, disputed. Disputed, thank you. They disputed with Stephen, it says. Now, go down to verse 11. Then the secret, they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. Is this starting to sound familiar to anybody else's life at the end of his moments that he was about to go through and die? Same exact thing. We can't really get anything on him. We need a couple of liars. I've actually noticed from serving God that when the enemy can't get anything on you, he'll use somebody to lie. Did you know that? He'll use somebody to lie or spread a lie. That's what they were encountering here. Jesus encountered it. Jesus encountered they had to go and find liars and twist. you got to remember, that's what the enemy does, and he uses human beings to do it, to twist, to twist something. that We heard him say something about destroying this temple where we worship. He should die for that. We heard him say that and, and twist. So we should expect opposition. Now look at verse 15. And gazing at him, it says, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Here God is trying in his grace and his mercy to change the heart of these people who want nothing to do with God, want nothing to do with Jesus in the way he sent Jesus to us. And, and they've got an opportunity to see God in Stephen and respond, but they become hard-hearted and stubborn and decide instead to oppose this message and this messenger. So some who oppose the gospel, where these verses are proof, number one, they'll disagree or argue. That's what they were doing. Expect that. Expect someone to disagree with you when you share the life-changing truth of the gospel. Expect that. But friend, don't let it scare you away from being obedient and sharing. It's the only hope that can set them free. And you don't know, and I don't know, what they're going to say or respond. God knows how many could be in church today if we were just an obedient witness, knowing we're empowered. Don't worry. See, we focus too much on, I don't know the Bible well enough. And this guy may know it better than me. And even though he falls in a culture of religion, he knows my Bible more than I do. What I do about that, Pastor? Well, there's two things you do. 
you don't rely on yourself, you rely on the Holy Spirit, knowing you're empowered to be a witness, and the Spirit will speak to you. And if you found life, if you found something when you were headed for death, and now you know you have life and a confidence that you know you believe in and persuaded he that is able, uh, that saved you is able to keep you against that day, then all you've got to do is help another poor beggar uh, find bread where you found bread. Amen? God didn't call you to be a theologian, but the second thing you can do is you can study to show yourself approved, a worker rightly, dividing the Word of God. You can get, get in the words yourself. You can get in a small group, Sunday school class, Thursday school class, Tuesday school class, whatever you want to call it. Just get in the word. But they'll disagree. They'll deceive, verse 11 through verse 13. They'll deceive. And remember, the Bible says, God says, you're either for me or you're against me. And the, and the devil uses those that are against God for his purposes and his plans. Here he used the Sadducees to represent uh, himself, the father of all liars, and they twisted the truth that Stephen was preaching just like they did when Jesus was preaching. And so they'll disagree, expect opposition to deceive, and expect opposition to divide. Verse 14 and verse 15 is what that talked about. And then here's something else they'll do, and we've been warned. They'll kill you. They'll kill you. You say, Pastor, will they really do that? You want to go to China with me next week? We want to board a plane and go to India and deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow Jesus? They'll kill you. They'll kill you. And Luke 21, 12 through 18, just let me read this to you. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Thanks for the opportunity, Lord. I need to go read Acts chapter 6 and 7 before I go on this mission, Lord. And remember who I'm supposed to be serving. Settle it, verse 14, therefore in your minds not to meditate beforehand on how to answer. For I, listen to what Jesus said, I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. That's what he did to Stephen. You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends and some of you they will put to death. You say, that's the most absurd thing I've ever said, not ever heard. Not to a Muslim who looks at his family and it's so ingrained in them, they see themselves as being born like that and they see for a child to step out and follow Jesus as a total rejection and slap in the face to them and to what their, how their friends perceive them and therefore they will kill their own for following Jesus Christ. You know the sad part about that? Besides that somebody would kill their own family member? The sad part about a Muslim devoted to the Quran and to Muhammad and to the last chapter that those who study the life of Muhammad and the Quran will see that chapter 9, the most violent chapter, is the last chapter in the minds of those who kill and slay the infidel. And by the way, that's not the heart of the majority of Muslims. So the next time you're on a trip or you're in Birmingham and you see a Muslim, how about not turning your nose up toward them and acting in fear because you're not to have a spirit of fear? And how about going over and asking them a little bit about themselves and their country and sharing with them a little bit about you? And if God gives you the opportunity to love them, to love them as we are called to love. That's a good message for Americans today, sitting in comfortable chairs in a church, isn't it? 
Because someone who's more afraid in fear, in a spirit of fear that we're not supposed to have but of love and a strong mind, is more concerned about themselves than they are about a Lord and Savior concerned about people dying and going to hell, including Muslims. And the sad part is, is that yes, those Muslims would kill their family members, but the second saddest part is, is that we've got Americans who claim to follow a Lord and Savior who's called us to die for our faith, and we have less faith than they do following a false god. That's truth. We have the real answer. We die for a real cause if it calls us to it. That should be our heartbeat. That should be our heartbeat. But Jesus warns them. That's why when he says, even your own parents and brothers, why do you think the verse is so important that basically tells us that our love for Jesus should look like hate for our own family? Somebody said, I'm leaving. I can't believe he just said, no, you didn't hear what I said. Jesus wants you to love your own family. It's what he ordained as an institution. But when it comes to comparing your spouse or your children love for them to your love for Jesus, it should be polar opposite, the depth of that love. Because your spouse didn't die for you on a cross. And they couldn't. Your children couldn't. They'll disappoint you. They'll harm you. They'll probe you when you probe them in the flesh. They'll leave you when God's called them to be with you for life. But Jesus said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Verse 17, he said, you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head will perish. <laughs> Woo. If we could just get more people on the big picture of what it's really all about. On the big picture. He said, I got you. You may die at the stake. Every apostle died a martyr's death except one, and that was John. He faced his own suffering, but God wasn't through with him, and that's when he put him on the Isle of Patmos, and we have the inspired book of Revelation. So there are those who have a a system like the Pharisees, a belief system. It's a self-centered belief system. It's built up on pride, tradition, law, works, church membership, Serving God for the motive to be noticed and recognized and look good rather than a passion to serve Jesus. It's all in our churches today. When we are called to do what we do is unto the Lord, not as unto men, not for a title. And that should be our heartbeat. Thank God for the servants that help, the, 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 the minority of servants that help model that here in our church. But we are to have a selfless servant belief system built upon Christ and Christ alone. And get this, church, that bears fruit of the root. Let that sink in. Pastor Henry said something in his prayer about that, about being connected to the root. We are to be believers and Christians that bear fruit of the root because the branch is connected to the vine. Amen? And Jesus talked about that. So in short, if you're not witnessing and serving, you're not growing. If we're not witnessing and serving, we're not denying ourselves and taking up our cross and following him. We can't be. We can't be growing. We can't be following the Holy Spirit if we're not witnessing serving and growing. We can't because it means we are being disobedient and not to do something that God commands us to do is sin. There it is. It's that simple and it's that plain. When God puts my neighbors, new neighbors that have moved into my neighborhood on my heart to love them and to offer them a place to go to worship if they don't have, to share my testimony with them, and I do not do it, I am sinning. 
But let's just all admit we got a bunch of sinners in church this morning. Amen? Yeah. That's me, Lord. That's me. Where's everybody at? Well, they're on your street. <laughs> they don't all live in my neighborhood. Amen? I'm just held accountable for the ones in my neighborhood. You're held accountable for the ones in your neighborhood without Christ. And thanks be to God when you reach out to extend a witness, to, to, to love them to Jesus, whatever that looks like. Third, an obedient witness is not afraid to tell the truth. Now, I'm going to give you this, and I'm going to pull it all together because I'm not going to read all these verses, but I'm going to tell you exactly what Stephen is preaching in these verses, okay? First of all, he gives them history, a history lesson. He, Stephen, look at chapter 7. This is what I'm going to be working through. So I'm going to ask you to just look at chapter 7 in your own Bible or whatever, um, and, and kind of, and if y'all want to throw it on the screen and try to stay with me and work through it, that's fine too. But the history, Stephen's speech revealed the Jews' consistent rejection to Jehovah God and his plan for their lives. He reminded them of God's involvement in the life of Abraham and the blessings he gave to Abraham for being obedient. So he does a synopsis, man, a quick synopsis of what God's doing from the Old Testament, bringing them up to date. He says, he reminded them of the ceremony of circumcision, which evidenced the covenant between Almighty God and the people of Abraham. He reminded them of a God who would deliver his people from the pit and give them a heart of Christ toward their enemies by talking about the life of Joseph. He reminded them of God's plan of protection over Moses when he was a baby, as well as the anger that led to the murder of an Egyptian and showed how the hidden deed was exposed even in Moses. He reminded them of Moses and the burning bush and the removal of his sandals due that he was standing on holy ground in the presence of God. He told them of the rejection and idol worship of the people against Moses and God. He discussed the process of moving from tabernacle to temple. He reminded them that God doesn't live in temples made by human hands, um, but that he, he is heaven, in heaven was the throne of God and earth was his footstool. He boldly addressed their pride, arrogance, and disbelief. Now look at chapter 7, verse 51 through 53, okay? Here's what he says to them. He says, um, you, everybody say stiff-necked. Now look at your neighbor and say it. It'll make you feel better. I'm just telling you, all right. Now you call them that back, right? We're all, we're all stiff. You stiff-necked people. Here's what he says. And he says it very seriously. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in your heart. It doesn't matter how much you're bragging about your physical circumcision. You need a spiritual circumcision. You need, you need the true God. You need, a, you need the Lord Jesus Christ. You think you bring something good to a holy God's table trying to work your way in. You whitewashed tombs is what Jesus called them. And Stephen calls them stiff-necked people. And circumcising your heart and ears, you always, you always resist the Holy Spirit. This is why he's so preaching with boldness. You resist a gracious God over and over and over who died for you. And you still will not surrender your life to him. You resist the Holy Spirit burdening you to reach out with the heart of Christ to those who are lost. And you resist and resist and resist. Even to the degree to where you become null and dumb in your spirit towards God and the things of God. It can happen. You stiff-necked people, he says. As your fathers did, so did you. Verse 52. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? Woo. He's just basically standing. You stiff-necked people. You persecuting people. Y'all don't forget who's sitting over here on the side who said kill him. God all, when God has a divine appointment... He's always at work before your appointment. And he's going to be at work in your appointment. And he's going to be at work after your appointment. You think about it. 
See, even as a young child who came to Christ like uh, Joshua and Jacob, I can't even remember who all God was using planting that seed beforehand. But here, Philip's just being obedient and planting seed, preaching the gospel, and Saul, who God would change to Paul, and millions would come to Christ because of his obedience and ministry. Stephen's preaching, and he's listening to every, every word, and he's calling these people out. And by the way, I will assure you, more than likely, and we can ask him when we get there, he probably glanced right over at Saul, looked him right in the eyeball. You. You sniff-neck, you stiff-neck man. I almost said sniff-neck. I want the sniff-neck person to smile. All right, you stiff-neck man, right? You're the one who did it. They were, they were hard-hearted, he says. And look, he goes on to say, which, which of you, the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels, and you did not keep it. You're strutting around like you're so good at keeping it. You killed the man who came not to abolish it, but to fulfill it. You killed him. You, ki you want to argue with that? You killed him. Whoo, what a word. They couldn't stand it. They couldn't stand it. He hit them close to home. I mean, talk about calling it like it is. Whoo, ouch, right? He, he, he's, he laid it down. He laid it down in this sermon, and little did he know that through his obedience, he would lay his life down. But the gospel went more to him than his own life. Does the gospel mean more to you than your own life? You have to get along with the Spirit and answer that. I tell you what, if you get along with the Spirit and you ask him that, and you're willing to respond that way he wants you to respond, you'll be more burdened about getting the gospel to your lost neighbors. You'll be more burdened about the people in the shadows of our steeple that 90% are sitting in a living room today or somewhere else. And I know there's a little more on the lake today. Hey, that's what Labor Day right for. you got to spend a weekend. But I'm talking about Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. Your street, my street, our community that don't know Jesus. That's never seen the church outside the four walls. That's why they think the church is like a building rather than a people to be a part of. And Basically, God is calling us to step out in faith, to step out in boldness, and to not have this same heart. And he addresses them. They're hard-hearted. Now, what did these people have in common that opposed Stephen and brought such opposition? Let me tell you what they had in common. They knew the law, yet they will hear from Jesus, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. They went to the temple regularly, yet they will hear from Jesus, depart from me. You work of iniquity. They did good things, yet they will hear from Jesus, depart from me. Unfortunately, the same is so true for so many today. They go to church. They drop $2 in. They might give, they might serve with a motive of looking good to others, not for the Lord, just a passion for him. And many will hear because they didn't come my way of the cross. Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. And as the band moves into place, I want to give you this one last area here about an obedient witness. An obedient witness keeps his eyes on Jesus. I want to read verse 54 through 60. Now when they heard these things, look at this, they were enraged. And they grinded their, they grinded their teeth, they ground their teeth at him. 
But he, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. Saw the glory. What does the glory of God look like? I can tell you what it looks like. I've never seen it like this. I pray I'll have a faith that will. But the glory of God looks like two little young boys and a little teenage girl following Jesus. Because God's had faithful servants to teach them the word, to lead them. God's had for some faithful parents to say, no, I don't feel like going today. And no, I don't want to go. And no, I don't want to waste $2 gas carrying you on Wednesday, which is now $5 after the last three days, right? That's just too inconvenient, no? They said, we're going. They said no to the coach at school. You're not going past a certain amount of time on Wednesday evening with mine. They said to other forms of idolatry, no. We will not allow the tail to wag the dog in our life spiritually. We will not. And so an obedient witness keeps his eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And that's what Stephen did. He saw the glory of God and Jesus standing, what honor, at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out, This is what the devil will do. I'm telling you, when you go to preach Jesus and you go with a burden and compassion for somebody that's on their way to hell, the devil can't stand it. He can't stand you. He's going to come with everything he's got. But let me tell you, he cannot stop the gospel and the word of God. Can't do it. Amen. He cannot do it. Woo! I give him more than a golf clap. Amen. Thank you for starting that, whoever it was. For his glory. They could not stand it, it says. They, verse 57, they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed him. Devil can't stand truth. Then they cast him out of the city and they picked up stones and stoned him. And the witness laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. We did it for you. We followed orders. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Look, look at this. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. That sound familiar to anybody you know that said the same thing? Jesus. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. He fell asleep. He didn't die. Not spiritually. But as you bow your head and you close your eyes, can I tell you something? It is appointed unto man once to die, and then the judgment. You say, now why would God put that in his word? Will you try to scare me? Nope. Because he loves you and he loves me. And he's grieved in his heart 
that many can sit under the truth of his love and the word of God and be stiff-necked yourself. Be immune, some of you, because you've been in church so long that you just trying your best to block it out, even if you can put your fingers in your ears. Yeah, I said those in church sometimes want to put their fingers in their ears. If you're living in sin, young people, if you're having sex before marriage, you don't want to be presented with the fact that you're joining Christ to that person. Men, if you hooked on porn and you have an addiction, you don't want to hear the truth that we're forcing Jesus to do that and look at that. And all God's trying to do is lovingly help you become free from something that's going to be dangerous for you and have a hold on. He's a good, good, he's a great father, a loving father. So I don't know what it is today you need to do. Some here today need to do like um, these did recently that followed through baptism, like Gabby and Travis did this past Sunday. Some need to say, God, I'm tired of living for myself. My sins put you on the cross. My sins killed you on a cross I should have died on. Lord, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Come into my heart. Save me. Use me like you used Stephen, God. If that's your heartbeat, just tell God that. He'll do it. He'll do it. Just tell him you're sorry for your sin. Come into your heart and save you. Do that right now. Just tell him. And then for those of us here who say, I know him, but I haven't been living for him. I know him, but I need to go home and adjust some things on the shelf and some idolatry and some trophies and bring the word of God out in my home and my family. Bring it out in my personal life first to study it, to memorize it, to hide it in my heart that I might not sin against God. And somebody say, Pastor, I need to be empowered to be a witness. You know what it is. I'm not the Holy Spirit. Whatever God has shown you today, however he's convicted you, I want you just to stand to your feet all over this building very respectfully in this time of response. This is always a time not where we're just trying to say, hurry up and shut it down. Even though I always try to be cautious to our preschool ministries, knowing that we need more people that love kids to help out with that ministry. That's my, one of my biggest concerns. But always yielded to the Holy Spirit that God's truth goes forward with the time that's allotted knowing that it's the most life-changing message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So listen to the song. Oh, come to the altar. The altar's open. And I'm going to ask you this morning to follow through with this song. If you need Jesus, I want you to come to the altar. If you know somebody that needs Jesus, if you can't account for every person on your street that they know Jesus or in your neighborhood, then come to the altar. And let's pray for them, all right? Let's do it. Move. Who will be the first to move to the altar as the band leads us and plays and sings? Rich, y'all just sing over us. Sing over God's people as we join in the altar. As we ask God to give us the focus of Stephen. The altar. Come to the altar. The Father's arms are open. You look at the altar, it's kind of like it's, it's an invitation. It goes across this room. Stands out to you and to me. Of Jesus Christ. Oh, come Cast to our cares on God, knowing He cares the for altar, us. The Father's arms are yes. open wide. Stand, kneel, whatever you need to do. Make an altar somewhere in the room. 
do this morning. I'm going to ask Steve Nelson, one of our elders, just to come up and voice a prayer over us. And listen, hey, I know it's Labor Day. I know a lot of people be jetting and getting out. But I just want you to know the elders will be here for you. If you need to talk to us more about Jesus, your relationship with him, if you accepted Jesus today and you just... You, just, you need to come and share it with us. Nothing fuels us more than someone coming to Jesus Christ. If you need prayer, extended prayer over your marriage. If you need prayer over a wayward child, I'm telling you, we will gather around you. And we will intercede and we will cover that for you. So always know that we're here with open arms like the Father and we love you. And, and we want to we pray and we want to see God strengthen your faith as well as ours to be willing to live, even if it costs us our life, to live for Jesus' sake. Steve, if you will, just put a prayer over us. Father God, we just, uh, we thank you for your word, God. And Lord, I just pray in my heart, God, help me to be more like Stephen. God, to have a faith like that, God, to keep you first, to be obedient to your calling, God. Help us, help each of us, God to have that kind of faith where nothing, nothing comes before you, where nothing matters as much as you, God. Lord, we thank you for the word this morning, God. Lord, help me to be more obedient, God. People on my street, people I come in contact with at work. God, I don't want anyone to perish and to go to hell and not know you, God. Lord, I thank you for your word. Thank you for a pastor like Toby who loves you, God, who, who will stand up here and be obedient and share that word. God, this is, this is your place. This is all for you. We love you, God. Lord, I pray not a person will leave here today that hadn't made a decision to make you their Lord and Savior. Thank you for the love you have for us, God. We love you, God. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen, church. Hey, we feasted spiritually, and so now y'all can feast physically. Amen. I hope you have a wonderful Labor Day weekend. Get some time to disconnect with your family. Be a light in a dark world. God bless you.